Good morning. Good morning, Mr. Orenstein. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you as well. So, um, let's shill our podcast. <laughs> shilling? Yeah. yeah. It's more like begging or something. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Or like shilling somebody else. Anyway, so uh, our friend Rob Walling and co. have launched the SAS Podcast Awards. Yes. A very prestigious new award on the internet. Yes. An extremely not made up award that we definitely need to win. Mm-hmm. We were nominated. Thank you to whoever nominated us. That was yes, cool. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and now that this pretend award exists, uh, I would like to win it. Yes. Must win the awards. Must win the awards. I was saying on Twitter, like, what a great marketing campaign this is. So, like, first of all, clearly it's just like it's playing into the, like, competitive side of my brain. So, like, it's it's smart on that, on that angle. But even beyond that, it's just, it's like, it's really a, a situation where everyone is winning. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, okay, they're promoting our podcast to other people. We're promoting them to our audience. The people that interact with this as like voters are discovering new podcasts. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, it's a beautiful thing where there's just like, it's clearly a marketing thing, right? Like it's sort of transparently about getting more people in the microconf tiny seed kind of circle. Fine. But like along the way, everyone is winning. So it's great. Yeah. Everyone wins. No, it's good. I saw you were you were trying to you know take down the indie hackers juggernaut on Twitter. Yes, um, Cortland Allen must be stopped. <laughs> the man is too good looking. His he's his too good. He's way too, too good looking. Good. <laughs> his, have you seen? He's been putting these uh, YouTube versions out. He has like this really nice looking blue shirt that he wears sometimes, and stylish glasses. And look, he claims to be about the indie hackers, yet he's backed by a corporate behemoth. A multi-billion-dollar megacorp. That's right. So, so he cannot win this. No, no. But he's—I can tell you—he's probably going to. <laughs> <laughs> so, but not if you do your part, listeners. That's right. You must if do we your all part. do our part. Yeah. Our campaign is comprised of thousands of small voters. Yes. His is—he's probably going after super PACs and things. Right. Right. This is the Fortune Five Million here that we're trying to get exactly. to for us. Yeah. So we've been nominated for best podcast for SaaS founders and best hosts, which is mm. pretty flattering. That is quite flattering. I think we maybe deserve one of those at most. Um, <laughs> one and a half. Yeah. yeah. Maybe half of one. But if you toss your vote in the in the pile, I would appreciate it. And you can do that by going to sasspodcastawards.com. Uh, I think you have to do it pretty soon. Uh, voting is expected to close quite shortly after this podcast goes out. So please don't dilly-dally Yep, yep, uh, yep. if you are going to help us out, which I'd appreciate. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Yeah. All right. That important business out of the way. <laughs> so I'm shaping a feature right Ooh, now. Okay. Do tell. So let's say you're pairing with somebody and you want to send them some text. Let's say you're the guest and I'm the host. So I'm sharing my screen with you. You're kind of guesting on my computer. And you're like, oh, here is a code snippet that might solve this problem. Currently, we have a little text input that you can open up on the tuple window on the guest toolbar, throw some text in there and hit enter, and then it will send it over the wire and place it in the host's clipboard, my clipboard. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. And then so then like either of us can then go paste it on my machine and then it's there. And <laughs> like a bunch of places in Tuple, this was like the first thing we came up with that solved the immediate problem and was like pretty okay. But 
was never like our, you know, this is the answer. This is the best way of doing this. We're finally coming back to this too. I think we figured out a, a pretty slick way of handling this that is better. All right. So here, here's the drawbacks of the, the current situation, which is first, like it's kind of clunky. It's like you need to like click this button, which opens a little text input, and then you paste your content in there, and then you like, you know, command enter to send it over, and then you focus something on the host side, and then you hit paste. It's like that was just, that could be better. The other thing is there's no way to get text the other way because like we don't pop up UI elements on the host's side, the person sharing their screen. So how do they get stuff to the guest's computer? They can't. So it's kind of suboptimal there. Also, if you send text from the guest to the host, you're overwriting the host clipboard. So it's like there might be something in there that they wanted. And it just doesn't, it just doesn't feel good. It's not. No one's going to be like, oh, wow, it worked with the way that the current functionality. So here's what I'm thinking. And I talked this over with Joel, and I think we have a way of doing this. But I kind of want to get your thoughts on the solution, how this sounds to you. And so I'm sort of tentatively calling this clipboard tunneling. I want to be able to let the guest copy and paste across the wire like there was no distinction between the machines. So like if I'm the guest and I want to send text to you, your host machine, I like copy on my machine, focus the tuple window, and hit paste, and it just shows up. That's, what, to whatever that's how active. I would expect it to work, you know? Yeah, yeah. totally. Yep. And then if I want to go the other way, I can copy on your machine and hit paste on my machine, and same thing. It works, yep. works that way. Yep. Sounds reasonable as a mental model? Yep, it does. Yep. Okay. So the devil is kind of in the details here, as usual. The way I'm thinking about this working is the host and the guest should each have their own clipboard that never interact. So like, I shouldn't be able to start a tuple call as a guest and then hit paste on my machine and get like whatever was in the host's clipboard. Definitely not. <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 And like, if I copy something on my local machine, like, let's say I'm like logging into a service while I'm on a tuple call, I have like the tuple window minimized. I'm copying my password to paste it somewhere or something or a one-time auth or something. The host shouldn't hit paste on their machine and get whatever was in my clipboard. So I think I actually kind of want like separate, distinct kind of like virtual clipboards effectively. So it's like clipboard tunneling, but with a firewall or something. <laughs> or like, like, like clipboard spaces is kind of like how I'm thinking about it. I think that's the best approach given the constraints. So there's, there's, there's two drawbacks to me. One is like, it might not match how people think about sending text between each other. There's no way for the, the host to push text to the guest. The guest has to pull it. Host meaning that you're the one sharing your screen and the guest is looking at your screen, right? Host means I'm sharing. Yep. yep. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So they have, they have a portal into your screen, but you don't have a portal into their screen. So you can't just push. Yeah, that makes sense. You're right. So like sometimes people will say like, oh, I like that the guest can send me things when I'm the host, but how do I send the guest things? And it's like, well, this doesn't give you that. It's not like chat where we're both or like a, a shared clipboard space or something where we're like dumping things and we can kind of make use of them. So that's kind of one drawback. And the other is that it kind of breaks a little bit of the seamlessness or sort of the, um, the immersion perhaps. So it gets rid of this idea of like, oh, I copied this, you paste it. That will never work anymore. So like if I'm on your machine and you copy something, I can't paste it. And if I copy something, you can't paste it. So like we have those clipboards are distinct and we can't, there's no more like, yeah. So, and that kind of changes the mental model maybe of how you think the clipboard or like we've kind of leaned into this idea of like when you're the guest on someone's machine, when you're using that remote machine, it's like you're sitting at it. 
So when in doubt, it should be as transparent as possible, like I'm plugged into that machine with you know, no differences. So you go there and you hit, you hit Command C on their machine, and it copies it to the host's machine clipboard, not your clipboard, right? Because that's how it works now. But that's gonna yeah. ch- that's what that would change under the scheme. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess the more I think about it, the more it's like, oh, okay. I guess you, I could I could make a case for either way on what the expected behavior would be, but probably i would assume that hitting command c even though i'm portaled into their computer i would expect to have that accessible on my clipboard you know yeah yeah Yeah. there's kind of like another halfway or like another like maybe middle of the road thing that i don't fully have in my head which is something like it's it's still fuzzy i think it's a kind of tricky thing where like none of the options are quite perfect joel and i were talking about this but if i am the guest and i hit command c do we want the host to be able to paste that i don't know that that's i don't think it really matters honestly i don't i don't think it does either i don't really imagine frequently happening in a pairing session where i'm like oh i i copied this over here on this window that you're looking at why don't you paste it over here in this window that we're looking at like why would that why would that happen unless you happen to like switch who was sort of driving in the middle of this where it's like, I'm writing some code, I copy something, and you're like, oh, let me try that. And then you take over, and then you paste, and it's like, oh, that's not my, that's not that. I could see there potentially being like a a shared tuple clipboard. The problem is like, there's not, there's not like, command C is command C, and like, you have to make a choice on which one it's going to be. Like, you, you can't, it can't be both. I mean, I don't think you would want to copy it to both clipboards. I don't think so. Because that would be, I would have the ability to overwrite what's on your clipboard, which is suboptimal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is the best of the trade-offs. So again, it kind of breaks that like you're on the computer. It works. Everything works the same thing. And we're going to have to hook into the copy and paste world. So like it's pretty easy if we, I think, <laughs> not being the one who has to implement it. I think it's pretty simple to capture command C, command V, command X when the guest types it and just do the sort of custom behavior. But I'm wondering if like, if someone uses the edit menu to copy something or like right clicks some text and clicks copy or like right clicks in a text input and hits like clicks paste. Do those all sort of trigger the same event that we can hook into and then say like who clicked right before the copy event fired. It was the guest. Okay. Do a different thing. Don't do the default behavior. Do this new thing. And I don't know for sure if we can do that or not. Mm-hmm. This reminds me, I just saw this recently. I think it's in like Google Docs or something. There's like a menu. There's a menu item where you can like go to say copy or paste. And they recently added this text that basically like deprecated that menu option and told you to use the keyboard shortcut, which Interesting. is a very curious. I don't know what the technical reason is for that because I feel like it's all in the same context. It's within the browser. It's not like a OS level thing. But I'm wondering if they're dealing with some shenanigans like that too yeah <laughs> i could see that yeah like they want they always want to see the keyboard strokes happen so they can do something yeah 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 that's interesting yeah maybe you can't reliably trigger like a paste event or a copy event at the os level like from the browser and so you should use the shortcuts because that like invokes the os doing it as opposed to something i worry there's like these are like rabbit holes that like I'm hoping we can just do this and like make it work. Like I know I feel like I can visualize now how I want it to work at a functionality level, but I do have some concerns that I'm going to try to like as we dig into this, it's going to be like, oh, we can't actually do what we want, so we'll have to mm-hmm. compromise. 
Yeah, the bummer would be is if there's that inconsistency between different modes of copying. <laughs> you know, it's like in reality, maybe almost nobody like these are programmers. Maybe they're almost nobody is going up and hitting edit copy. You know, so it's like might be a a kind of a moot point, anyways. But it would suck to have to like make that distinction. It's true. Yeah, I would call that acceptable as a trade off. I think if the keyboard versions work to the fancy way and then like you oh if you do the other thing it's not it does that it's uh not too bad uh, so i'd probably say let's do it anyway it'd be nice to not to just have you know the the lower level copy event has been triggered in some fashion doesn't matter how hook into that yeah how did this feature uh this like shaping this improvement come about or is it is it a point that a lot of people get confused about and have emailed about or is it something you just know that needs to be improved it's not like like super commonly requested, but it comes up somewhat frequently. And every time it does, it's like, yeah, yeah, that 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 could be better. We sort of had a, a picture of how it could work. And so it's like, well, and it doesn't seem too hard, <laughs> probably. <laughs> maybe. So, maybe. Yeah. So we, uh, we're going to take a crack at it. And it's one of those like, not a big deal, but like nice UX wins. Where it's like, oh, if it just like, if you just copy on your local machine and then paste over there and it works, like you just go, oh, nice. It worked. I think it, that's, it creates creates good vibes. That's one of those moments I would be, my internal narrative would be like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. Let's see. I want to get this text onto your machine. Let's see if this works. <laughs> and then if I, and if I did it, I'd be like, oh, nice. You exactly. Know? That's And that's the reaction I want. And instead we get people saying like, how do I send text? And we're like, oh, click this button that has a sort of unclear icon and then do this. And yeah or they'll be like how do i get text the other way and we're just like yeah you can't and so like people use slack or whatever and it's like yeah that's fine but the seamlessness of the command copy paste just working would be great have you thought about adding a chat to tuple like a little text-based chat thing a little bit i'm not convinced feels uh like a total iceberg feature someone requested like a shared clipboard area where it's like you can dump text into it and then either person can kind of pull it out might be kind of nice like which basically is sort of sort of chat like basically chat i guess it could be good but it doesn't feel like it has a great like uh effort to reward ratio to me like if we get the clipboard thing working and everyone already has some way of chatting with people there's there's always like you know telegram or slack or iMessage or whatever you happen to use to communicate with the person you're pairing with Um, there's almost always some sort of thing already so if we're not really enabling a new ability, we're just making it mildly more convenient, but like writing a mountain of code that we now need to maintain forever, blah, blah, blah. Doesn't get me that excited. Right. And I guess it's more of like a kind of like video conferencing. If there's a bunch of people on a call and then people say like, oh, I'm going to paste something in the chat for you to look at, you know, it's like, it makes sense for that to be like quickly in context right there. But this is not a, this is not a large group of people on Tuple. It's just a handful of people and you're already sharing text with each other on the screen anyways so yeah it seems maybe it's like less less important yeah that's an interesting point about it gets more valuable if we expand the number of participants i think that's true yeah as i was writing up this sort of design doc i found myself thinking about and describing things as saying like if any of the guests does this thing because now it's like okay well observer mode is going away and so now it's just like just i have to think about the potential of sort of three all the time one to n yeah yeah one to n and so it's like oh it's already starting yeah (laughs) like the additional complexity mental model having to shift yep totally but it's been fun like i just 
I got up pretty early this morning, had a bunch of coffee and was like sitting here thinking through stuff and writing up a sort of a shaped thing. And it, it just feels good. It's, it's fun to kind of do some deep product work. Yeah. That is the fun part for me too. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Uh, so you tweeted that you're seeing a lot of people abandon Calendly lately. So I'll be transparent on here that that is um, a little bit of Twitter ad copy that we're playing around with. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Corey's been running some some experiments. And I, part of the part of the strategy is to, I think Twitter ads tend to perform a little better when they have some organic activity on them versus like you, you can basically do, you can promote something that's already on your timeline or you can, or you can just like create a complete like shadow tweet that never actually appeared in an organic feed. But I am, I mean, I'm seeing people convert to Savvy Cal, thankfully. So, yeah. Um, yeah. You could really use a good scandal. <laughs> yeah. You know, it'd be great if like a whole bunch of people got mad at Calendly for some reason. I know. That'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to manufacture yeah, but, that, but, you know. I, no, I yeah, I'm not saying <laughs> I'm just thinking back to some of our random lucky breaks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're playing with some Twitter ads. That's interesting. I'd be curious to hear how those go, like ROI-wise. Yes. Yep. So far, um, it's still kind of early on the results front. but And tracking this stuff is so tricky. Like, this is where I, I like the idea of remaining a purist with my analytics and using only, like, Fathom and these really simple tools. But then, like, it's really hard to know what's actually working. <laughs> so, and then, so I, you know, we're running these ads and we kind of have the basic the basic pixel for for Twitter, but I think that gets blocked in a bunch of places, understandably, you know, ad blockers. And um, I think Firefox blocks the pixel maybe uh, by default. We're seeing a bunch of traffic, a bunch of impressions and engagement with the tweet and stuff, but almost zero actual results logged in the, the Twitter ad platform. But then we can kind of look in analytics and see like, well, that's not totally accurate. But then if we like compare traffic levels to very specific landing pages to to even traffic that's coming through other attribution models, like the numbers are just way off from each other. So it's quite frustrating <laughs> to figure out what's actually working. You know, I wish it wasn't this way. Like getting this type of data shouldn't be, in my mind, shouldn't be considered like a major privacy issue. Like that's how I feel too, actually. You know, it's aggregated. It's not like I'm... I don't really care to know specifically like, you know, what behaviors on the internet have my customers done in that level of detail, but I want to know in aggregate what's happening. You know, if I'm running this campaign, how is it performing kind of stuff? So totally. Yeah. So I guess like sort of one way around this might kind of be like a separate funnel, right? Like a, a different landing page, a checkout with some sort of meta tag set or something like that. Yeah. I'm guessing that's why you see that you see like kind of the, the typical like landing page model where it's like very very isolated like you send them to a page where there's one call to action and it's very kind of walled off so you know that like if they came here it had to have come through this channel which is probably worth playing with i don't know how that works with like seo like if you have a, end up with a bunch of duplicate content but maybe you just block those pages from search or something but yeah, so there's probably I, there's things we can do. Actually, that the tweet that we just um, posted, we're like tagging with um, UTM params and then playing with some tools that can that can hook into that and kind of use that as a tracking mechanism. So, so yeah. But I mean, so far Corey's like encouraged by the results. Uh, he shared a, a Loom video with me uh, yesterday, kind of walking through the campaigns that are currently running and some of the 
some of the tweaks that he's going to use based on early results. And um, it's looking like knock on wood, like it might be, it might be a viable channel um, to, to refine. So that's, that's encouraging. Yeah. There's also that classic argument of like, well, plus you're building some awareness and there's a bit of a viral component here. So even if you break even or maybe even lose a little bit of money on new customers, it might be worth it. Yep. Totally. Yeah. Talk about getting hard to track. It's like, what are the second order effects of signing up a customer? I know. Uh, but yeah. It'd be interesting. Yeah. It's like overall though, with, with kind of that stuff going on and, and me tweeting and stuff like signups are accelerating. I have the trials are starting to convert now. So we're post, we're seven days past when oh, we yeah. the seven day trial. And yeah. um, so right now there's like, I think there's 20 something trials in the hopper and, and yeah, so far they're like converting well, I think there's credit card on file. So it's, it's a very smooth, smooth path to, from trial to paid provided someone, you know, doesn't come in and, and cancel early. So I'm pretty optimistic that those are going to convert at a high rate, I think. Um, mm. Nice. So you've seen yeah. some of them convert so far? Yeah. Like a handful of them uh, so far. And, and each day there's going to be, going to be more of those over the next week. So are you A/B testing, or you just you just went to a trial? You just have a trial now. Uh, just have a trial now. Yeah, yeah. Didn't feel like I had enough volume to really do a do an A/B test. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So the numbers are going up. Yeah, yeah. Numbers are going up. I'm on track still. I have my my profit well goal target is still fifty percent month over month growth, and uh, I think I'm uh, tracking pretty closely to that still. I'm not <laughs> not expecting exponential growth to continue, but happy that happy to have it for a little while at least <laughs> mm -hmm. so, yeah totally yeah i was just i was thinking like oh the numbers are going up but like the bank balance is probably still going down for now yeah yeah no totally so like that's that's that, that's the magic point though right yes like that that's truly the the inflection point i feel like in the business the default alive status where, yeah totally. yeah yeah no, I mean, they say like when you're the more revenue you add on doesn't necessarily increase your happiness, which I think is true. You are not your MRR, that whole thing. But you kind of are until you reach default alive. <laughs> like You're kind of tethered to it. And so I oh, think yeah. that's, that's the big that's the big milestone that I'm looking forward to. And that will have a noticeable impact on my own sanity and feeling of calm and all that. It feels achievable. So we have this ambitious goal. I mentioned it before, like default alive by end of spring. That'll align well with my burn rate, I think. Um, anything beyond that, I'll have to start start getting creative or thinking about different different options. But cross that bridge if I need to get there, you know. Hmm. So. What's your like qualitative sense of the business and its healthiness moving forward? My overall sense is this is going to work. This is the level of traction that I would want to see. It feels different than Static Kit and Level did, you know, in terms of just just the a groundswell of of momentum obviously i wish i knew wish i could read the tea leaves fully and know like what channels are going to be scalable for me what things should i invest in now to pay off six months from now the main goal right now is figure out what those things are like what what's the low-hanging fruit that i can tackle in the near term to kind of boost revenue in the near term but also like what things should i be investing a chunk of my runway into to pay off down the line so there's all the questions swirling around but yeah overall like i'm i'm very optimistic and and um feel positive about it cool yeah yeah that's great what else is anything else going on yeah so we we shipped a new home page with a revised headline and a bunch of copy reworked um from Corey's efforts 
one of my favorite elements on this uh, that I got in was a was a wall of customer faces. This is down in the in the footer of the website, and uh, it persists on every page. And I just love it because, I mean, this is kind of leveraging the fact that this is a a relatively low per user price point product. It's just like I have a bunch of people using the product, which I can use to my advantage when I'm when I'm developing social proof and kind of giving a true realistic reflection of like, no, there are like a lot of people actually using this product and you should join the club, you know? And that's uh, interesting. Yeah. It's interesting that you went with people and not companies. Yeah, because this is the companies are that their founder of or role their role is listed under their name. But it's I think people resonate with the human element more than more than the the companies, you know? It's like these are savvy individuals who are opting to use this for their personal scheduling right now. So that's cool. Yeah. Joel and I are on there. I like it. Yep. You nice. are. That's fun. This is cool. Yeah, it looks nice. I like it. Thank you. Yeah. We also shipped some or we're shipping today, I think we're gonna flip them live. Um a whole bunch of new lifecycle emails and um kind of nurture people from a few different stages you know it's signing up if they didn't if they don't make it through the onboarding workflow we have a or the onboarding wizard i should say um, we have an email to nudge them through that and then after they get through that things to nudge them to start a trial and then when they're in a trial so kind of the whole the whole classic life cycle funnel this has been fun to um set up so i'm using user list one of the um tiny seed backed companies benedict and jane it's a really clean product i've been i've enjoyed using it and one of my favorite parts of it is something that for a while I wanted to build this into drip and then it just became, it was just kind of a big, was going to be a big technical hurdle and kind of a just never really surfaced on the top of the roadmap. But what I'm enjoying doing is basically setting up segments for each of these different stages of the life cycle and then triggering my email campaigns based off of when people enter or leave a segment. And so triggering based off of moving through segments, it feels to me like it's like a declarative model for for doing this as opposed to everything triggered off of events. So I still have events flowing in there so I can see them in the timeline. I can trigger one-off things based off of it if I want to, but for the most part, I want to kind of keep things segment-based. And um, it feels like a really, a really clean model and easier to reason about than like triggering based off of events. So... Interesting. I'll be curious to hear how you feel about that a little bit later because I'm doing the same thing for our email stuff. I basically have to keep the campaigns tab and the segments tab open when I'm doing stuff because I'm like, what does activated mean again? I've had to rename my segments a few times, like try to make them clearer and clearer because I'm just like, yeah, there's just like a bunch of states you can be in and like, what does the segment mean exactly? So what should the email say is kind of like a tricky thing. I ended up um, kind of working through this exercise of creating these segments and I had to add some additional data into as properties on the users to make sure I could like accurately segment them. Naming them is so hard because it's like, okay, like the stage where people are, are signed up, right? They either come through the calendar overlay or they come through the marketing site. And so I have like a, a stage in the funnel called like signed up via marketing site or signed up via overlay. And then after they make it through the onboarding, wizard i have i call it onboarded right now the segment that's called like signed up via marketing site doesn't represent all users who signed up via the marketing site that just represents users who who that's that's like the latest the furthest in stage that they've made it to you know and so i have like another segment that's similarly named that actually does represent 
all the users who signed up through the marketing site. So like I have now I have like a little tag in front that's like this is a life cycle, um, a life cycle stage as opposed to a encompassing segment. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, naming them's tricky because otherwise it would be yeah. like really long and be like signed up via this but has not yet made it through onboarding, and it's like. Maybe that'd be a better name, but it's also like really, really long and a lot of text to read all the time. So it always yeah. starts off like nice and clean. And then you're like, wait a minute. Uh, okay, <laughs> yeah. well, this is kind of confusing. Oh, what about these people? Oh, I guess mm-hmm. I should have a thing for this. Yep. yep. Um, I've like slowly dialed back the number of emails we're sending because like getting the targeting exactly right and like maintaining those things has been kind of tricky um, and just hasn't been a big focus. But like that's a classic, like we're leaving money on the table because we don't have like good tested refined you know campaigns for all these states there's this tweet i love which is something like like your null hypothesis should be that like the customer doesn't really care about your product and has already forgotten about it or something it's like like people yeah they were interested for a minute or two and they like kind of started to sign up and then they got distracted and like you if you're not you know doing a little bit of work to like try to reclaim them when you can in in a non-annoying way like you're you're kind of blowing it I saw a tweet. I can't remember who it is. I wish I did. I think I saved it somewhere. But they were like, in programming, do not repeat yourself is a principle that is is really valuable in many, many contexts. But in marketing, it's the complete opposite is true. Like, you need to be repeating yourself all the time, <laughs> which is like, that was a good reminder. Yep. My eventual dream is like, someone literally just owns emails. There's probably enough customers flowing through our funnels that like a person could profitably play with, you know, experiment with, do growth experiments with emails for, you know, something close to full time. Yeah, yeah. That was a role you were thinking about hiring for for a while, right? And is that sort of on, on hold right now? Or Yes. Yeah, yeah. so we, we were sort of originally thinking like head of growth is the right thing. And I had a great conversation with someone and he, he kind of asked me this question, which was sort of like, isn't most of the growth work to be done product work? Like if you're trying to improve the onboarding like your trial conversion rate you're going to change things about the product like yes that's that's true okay well do you have like a product team that you're happy with already and it's like well no not really i was like okay well you probably need that and like if you don't have that what's the distinction like when is it growth and when is it product and like if the growth person says we should redesign the whatever do you have a designer to do that or do you have a like is is engineering going to devote time to that and like what percentage of that is growth work versus like just making the product better work and just sort of raised a lot of good questions. And I was like, yeah, this doesn't, okay, I, this is complicated. Yeah, they very, very well might end up being pretty bottlenecked on other resources in the org, right? And and then and then end up just like spending their time on things. They're like, well, I can execute this on my own, but really the best stuff to do would involve, you know, the product team and designers. And so then can they really do their best work without all that support? Yeah. Yes. And then like, if if a bunch of this stuff is just making the product better, that's just like product. It's not growth. It's kind of like a kind of a weird distinction, carving out the separate thing and saying, "Well, this is a growth." Like, granted, there are things that like aren't like optimizing the email sequences feels like a you know that's a growth task. That's not really a product task, I guess you would say. So I think there are still some things that you could say, yeah, this will never be like a product designer's job to like test different emails and see how they work. I, I could see us eventually having a person like this. Uh, but the sort of more immediate need was like, well, don't you just want to like execute on making the product better at a better rate and more thoroughly? And I was like, yeah, that's actually the real thing here. So. Right. Because you guys are sort of a Tuple is like a product led growth company, I would say. You have enough inbound interest. This is filling 
a deep void that existed in the market. So people are well aware of the problem. They're coming to you. And now your job is to like execute on it well enough and, and continue to improve the product in ways that will that will convert people um, who are already coming through the door. If you had a different problem where you're like, well, we have once once people make it in, they they the product does exactly what they want. Now we just need to get more people through the door. Then you would be maybe looking more towards someone who um, needs to run a bunch of you know campaigns and, and get more people through the door. But that's not your problem right now. You know. Yeah, I, I would say that. And that's not to say that like there's not productive work to do there. If we were amazing at like doing a bunch of things at once and you know running teams and communication and all that, it might be smart to like be investing more sales, marketing, growthy type things. But it feels like it's not on fire. It's not it's not bad. A default answer of make the product better every month is probably not super far from, you know, correct. Uh, so I, I feel okay about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So one last thing that I'm working on, I'll talk about is a feature I'm pretty excited about. And I'm really excited because it aligns really well with with the kind of positioning that we've doubled down on for now on the on the homepage, which is like like smoothing out the the awkwardness of sending someone a link, right? Today we already have the like personalizing links feature, which does helps a lot, I think, in a lot of contexts. But there's this pattern, a very common pattern that that a lot of people have settled on for like for sending people times when when it's sort of ambiguous what the power dynamic looks like and you you don't want to feel like you're pushing too much work onto the other party. And that pattern is generally like, well, I'll send a, I'll propose a couple times. And so if the person just wants to reply back and go like, yeah, Tuesday at three works well, you know, then that's fine. But if the proposed times that you sent don't work, then you can send like a fallback link with it. Like, and if none of these times work, here's my here's my link. Uh, please don't get offended. You know, like <laughs> um, that's kind of the the way that people ease that a little bit. And so basically I want to make this, you know, very, very easy to spin up in Savvy Cal. And so I'm calling the time the feature like proposed times. I kind of went through a little shaping exercise of my own for this and, uh, you know, tried to figure out like, does this exist as a feature distinct from scheduling links? Like, is this a, is this a completely separate tab in the, in the sidebar for a while I was calling it like holds, like you want to just hold a couple times for people. Right. And so maybe it's just like you go to this, you go to this area and you see your calendar and you can just click a few spots and then it copies to your clipboard and you can paste those times into an email. And so that was, that was kind of one avenue I explored. But then the more I thought about it, it's like, well, you you probably almost always do want to send like a fallback scheduling link with it. And so the concept of like proposing times, holding times for somebody and the scheduling link are all kind of intimately related. And it's even better if you can combine the two. Right. So if you you send these proposed times and then they do end up clicking your link when they if they see their name and email address pre-populated for them and it looks like you've put in some effort then that just that helps the dynamic. So so what I kind of settled on was like, all right, if you're going through the flow of personalizing a link, then you'll see a button under that to propose a few times. And you can click that and you can select a few times that you want to propose and it will basically create a tentative event on your calendar to hold hold that time slot so that you know, it doesn't get taken by someone else. That would be, that's an unfortunate thing to happen. If you send a couple times, person replies, you know, six hours later and the time is gone, right? So this will reserve it for them. And then like the the little snippet of text that will get copied to the clipboard will have like, if they want to click one of the times, they can click it and then it'll literally just be the confirmation screen. Like 
we have your name, we have your email address, the time is selected, boom, you're done, you know? And if they reply back and say, Tuesday at three works for me, then you can just click that link and it'll just do it. It'll just create it, you know? So, so. Oh, yeah, um, cool. Nice. Yeah. Do you have an undo on that screen? Well, I think it'll still be a button to confirm. So like you click the link and then it's just like, here, confirm all this stuff that we have for you. And Got it. And cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yep. Um, and so. That sounds great. Yeah. So I'm really excited about this. And then I want to, like right now, it's it's a number of steps to like go and create your link, click personalize, add the things, click propose time. So I want to then collapse that down into like a very, very quick wizard type of interface. And I think it'll be really nice then then kind of the next iteration is to put this into a like a browser plugin of some kind so that it just like if you're in your email inbox, if you're in Gmail or something, it'll just like it's accessible right there. So, yeah, that's that's the next level. It's just like API driven, basically, just like I want to hit a shortcut and then be like, I'm available here, like at this time, at this time, this time. And if none of those work, like this, just have like, don't, I don't want to open Savvy Cal. Ideally. Yep. yep. That'd be awesome. Yeah. And then and then kind of also in the next iteration, like if you you can propose your own times or Savvy Cal knows what your optimal times are to meet as it gets more intelligent, like it'll just come up with times for you, you know. So you so if you're a really busy person and you don't care to select your own, you just, you know, whatever's available at an optimal time on the, over the next three days or something and it'll just like auto propose times um that's also the kind of next level so nice yeah i like it yeah that sounds great so, so i'm having fun building that and uh should be released pretty soon kind of seems like you're kicking ass lately <laughs> i'm trying I, I mean i feel like i'm running around like a little bit with my hair on fire but it's like managed chaos i'm thankfully able to get into flow but also like trying to not let Corey get too blocked. So I'm doing, you know, design stuff for him as he sends me copy. Obviously I wish I could clone myself so I could move a bit faster, but, but so far, like it's, um, time is flying by. That's one way to make the pandemic go by fast is just like start a startup <laughs> and, then, and then you'll feel like time is just whizzing by. Um, yeah. It'll give you something else to think about for sure. For sure. Yeah. I'm excited for you. I, ho- I, I hope the growth continues and I'm, I, I like, I'm so curious how it'll feel if slash when you hit ramen profitability and what you're going to want to do and think about and care about. Yeah. I, I can't wait to get there. <laughs> cool. We'll keep us up to date on the, uh, the March to profitability. I will for March sure. Ramen. I'll report back um, weekly right here on art of product podcast. Isn't that the podcast that got nominated for several uh, awards recently yeah i think so i think it is oh yeah. was it was it was it sasspodcastawards.com that did that and where people yeah. could go vote sasspodcastawards.com yep that's the but only if they like liked us and wanted us to win imaginary right. awards that we care we care about for some reason because brains are weird right if you've made it to this point in the episode and you're like these guys are idiots then please don't go there please don't go to sasspodcastawards.com also you should rethink how you use your time yeah <laughs> right this is a long one 45 minutes it is take that bootstrap web yeah peter Soom has been like nagging us to or nagging me both of us to uh to produce longer episodes like he wants out of beta length uh episodes from us and hmm. yeah i like the 30 it's minutes like, that's like measuring a book by goodness by how long it is though it's right. like it's yeah. not about that i know i know that's like, what, what I do you do. want me to just like 
do you want that like nonfiction book that's been blown up to be 200 pages because it needs to have a certain spine width to be read on the the, the shelf? Is that so what you many, want? So theater? many business books that way. Yeah. Is that what you want? I don't want that. Look, if I don't have good things to say, I'm going to get out of here. That's that's my that's what I'm going to try to do. We keep it tight here. We run a tight ship our product. That's right. Speaking yeah. of which, let's get the hell out of here. <laughs> let's get out of here. <laughs> Notes of the show. Notes of the show can be found at artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. See ya.